You're listening to the Irish Times Worldview Podcast. Welcome to Worldview from the Irish Times. I'm Dennis Staunton. Today, as a synod of Roman Catholic bishops in Rome adopts a new conciliatory tone on homosexuality, civil marriages and contraception, we ask what the change means for the church around the world and for the rights of gays and lesbians. But we begin in the United States, where just three weeks to go before polling day, the campaign for November's midterm congressional elections is gathering pace. All seats in the House of Representatives are up for grabs, along with a third of the seats in the Senate. The Republicans already control the House, and they're hoping to overturn the Democrats' majority in the Senate. Most pundits think they'll succeed, but some races are so close or so volatile that predictions are precarious. To discuss the state of the race, I'm joined now from Washington by our correspondent Simon Carswell and here in Dublin by the Irish Times foreign policy editor Patrick Smith. Simon, it's all about the Senate this year and it's all about a handful of states. Can you take us through the battleground? Uh, well, it is, yes. It's it's all about the Senate. And uh, really, there's a handful of battlegrounds at the moment that are being fought between uh, Democrats and Republicans. There's about 10 that are up for grabs uh, that could swing. Um, they're regarded as being the key states. Uh, there are a number that are, are seen as being guaranteed uh, Republican wins. There's... Um, there's South Dakota, West Virginia, and Montana. Uh, and then there's other states as well where we are seeing uh, Republicans kind of, it's leaning more towards Republicans in states like um, North Carolina, in Arkansas, in Colorado, uh, Georgia, uh, and in Iowa. Um, and an interesting race in Kansas where uh, the Republican incumbent is under severe pressure, not from a Democrat, but from uh, an independent. The polls are showing uh, gains of about seven seats. The Republicans need a net gain of six seats to take control of the Senate. They're 45 seats currently. They need to get over 51 uh, to control the Senate. Uh, and it's looking at the moment like that it's t- is, will happen. Although at the, at the moment it's still marginally uh, waning. They're looking like they might come in as 52 seats uh, at present. So it's not guaranteed that they will take control of the Senate, but it's, it's, looking, it's looking like a possibility. Now, are, are there any big issues that tend to be the issues everywhere, or do, do they vary from state to state? Well, they vary from state to state, but one overarching theme really is the unpopularity of President Obama. And what's interesting about this entire race is that you have states where uh, President Obama was successful in 2008 and 2012 in his re-election, places like Colorado, North Carolina, Virginia, and these are kind of key states in American politics where they're shifting demographics and really covering the most important uh, demographics that determine the outcome of presidential elections, young minority female voters. And in those states, the Senate candidates on the Democratic side don't want to know anything about President Obama. The New York Times mentioned that Obama has been benched by the Democrats in these states. And, and even in Iowa, which is a key presidential state, decides uh, one of the earlier states to decide who uh, who the pre- uh, presidential pick should be on both sides. Iowa, again, the Bruce Braley, the, the Democratic candidate there, doesn't want to know uh, about President Obama, doesn't want him in the race. And it's made life difficult for a lot of the Democratic candidates, particularly a comment that the president made last week where he said, you know, my name isn't on the ballot, but my policies certainly are. And and Republicans have jumped on that statement, and it's given them a clip to be able to put in their ads, uh, in their attack ads, on uh, the Democratic rivals that they're facing, uh, linking this very unpopular president with um, 
with the Senate races that they are fighting. Uh, if you look at Obama's ratings, they're about 42%, which is about two points higher, just two points higher, than George W. Bush's ratings were in his second midterm elections. Um, and generally, in a second term, a president's second term, the midterm elections, uh, the president is always going to be deeply unpopular, but in this case, uh, President Obama is, is, is exceptionally unpopular. And for that reason, Democrats just don't want him involved in the race. Now, you've been reporting, Simon, this week from Kansas, a state that's been returning Republicans to the Senate very, very reliably for decades. But this year, it could be different. What's going on? Well, this year it's a fascinating race. Uh, what would be regarded as a sure thing but on the Republican side, this Senate race involves uh, veteran Senator Pat Roberts, who's been representing Kansas for more than 30 years. He's seeking a fourth term in the Senate. And uh, the Democrats very cleverly decided to pull their candidate, uh, uh, candidate by the name of Chad Taylor. He pulled out of the race, leaving it to be a, a runoff between uh, an independent Greg Orman uh, and Pat Roberts. And that's unnerved Republicans because uh, they would have thought that, well, some people would have gone for Orman, some people would have gone for Taylor, and that would have strengthened Roberts' hand. Roberts has been through a very, very difficult primary in this state. He was faced, facing a Tea Party challenger by the name of Milton Wolf, and a lot of Kansans have pointed out that the long-term senator for the state couldn't even pull more than 50% of his own party's votes in that primary race. Uh, the main reason for Roberts' unpopularity is he's regarded as a creature of Washington. There's been a lot of attack ads, mainly by his own, uh, by, by his, from his own, his own party in this primary election, which has shown him to be out of touch with Kansans. He's someone who's lived in North Virginia for, for most of his political life, and they're saying he's not uh, connected to Kansas anymore. And, and again, the attack ads have used his uh, rental of a property from two supporters um, in Kansas, in Dodge City, um, as saying, well, he doesn't even have a house here, so why should we vote for him? And he made a his political gaffe in a in a. Uh, interview he gave to the New York Times where he said he still has use of the recliner in this rental property and again his rivals have jumped on that and used it in attack ads um, so that's really put him on the back foot uh, the popularity of Greg Orman is, is that uh, Washington is very unpopular, the partisan gridlock that's paralysed Congress has made people say well we want an alternative and Greg Orman has come out uh, as a viable alternative, someone that's seen as popular in the state someone that's seen that can actually get a job Done. Also, the shift to the right in Kansas has alienated a lot of moderate Republicans. Um, you have the governor there, the Republican governor, Sam Brownback himself, a former senator. He's come out with a lot of um, very fiscally conservative policies. He's uh, slashed taxes, which has damaged the state's budget and, and pushed a lot of the education uh, budgets for schools uh, in jeopardy as well. And that's, that's really um, alienated a lot of Republican voters. And Kansas would have had a tradition of sending moderates like Bob Dole and Nancy Kasselbaum to the Senate over the years. So you're seeing Roberts weakened, not just by the attack ads against him, but also by the shift to the right that has left a lot of Kansans very uncomfortable. Uh, Patty Smith, if the Democrats do lose the Senate to the Republicans, what does that mean for the rest of Barack Obama's term and what does it mean for public policy in the United States? Well, it's it's very likely that, that Obama would find it very difficult to push any anything any of his legislation through. But perhaps even more importantly, uh, the Republicans have their eyes on a number of key pieces of legislation which they would like to to repeal. Um, there's the Dodd Frank Act, for for example, which which put brought regulation into Wall Street and the banking system. In particular, it would be very serious. Uh, if if uh, they started to repeal that, uh, they're very determined to get a, uh, Obama. 
Obama approval for a a, a pipeline project called Keystone XL, uh, which they think they they could do if they had control of the Senate. Um, and although they can't actually repeal Obamacare and the health program, they could actually take large chunks out of it by by removing important pillars of 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 the care the care system, which which would be very worrying. Uh, and the other uh, other aspect in in uh, the in Congress is the is the nomination process. Obama has to get uh, people approved by by uh, by uh, Congress, and in the course of of the history of this process, some one hundred and six. 68 filibusters have taken place to block nominees, half of them in Obama's time, and that's a, 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 that is likely to to increase uh, rapidly if if they take con- the Republicans take control. But Obama has some 200 nominees awaiting uh, awaiting approval by by the Senate. Uh, President Obama has uh, has postponed any action on reforming America's immigration system until after the midterm elections. If the Republicans take control of the Senate, what does that tell us about the fate of immigration reform? Well, the 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 the, the big hope of immigration reform at the moment is that the House might be persuaded to adopt a Senate legislation, which which would evaporate if if the Republicans take control. Uh, but the, the question is still whether or not the Republicans will come to their senses on immigration. They have very, very severe electoral problems arising from their, their total hostility to immigration reform, particularly in the southern states with the Hispanic community where, where their vote is absolutely woeful. And there's, there is pressure within the Republican Party to reform that that position. Uh, so that issue won't really be de- dependent on on the Senate majority. It'll be on on the dynamics of of the Republican Party ahead of the 2016 election. And what about foreign policy? Will it make any difference to foreign policy? Not not very much. I mean, the reality is that when we're seeing Obama beginning to think about legacy projects in 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 uh, internationally as well as as domestically, but he's he's really not performing and it's it's been very very disappointing uh the international community has looked on him as somebody who was going to change the scene internationally uh and initial speeches like his speech in cairo to the muslim uh, community worldwide was seen as a, as a sign that that things things were going to change his nobel prize was extremely premature and uh is viewed with considerable cynicism now uh, his middle east policy is is uh, shambolic uh, his turn to Asia has has been seen by many people as as half uh, hearted, and and so um, internationally he's he's really it's very difficult to see where he's going to make substantial progress. The one area where he does seem to be moving forward is on global warming, where where there has been signs of 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 possibilities, uh, but it's it's pretty tentative. Uh, Simon Carswell, Paddy mentioned uh, Obamacare. Has that diminished as an issue in the election uh, this year? It's certainly for the last couple of years, it seemed to be the big rod to beat Democrats with. I guess the answer to that is it really depends on where you are. The more conservative the state, the bigger the issue it is. Uh, you had a debate last night between Mitch McConnell, the uh, sitting Republican senator in Kentucky, who would be the Senate's majority leader if the party wins the Senate. He was involved in the debate with Alison Lundergan Grimes, who's the Democratic candidate in that state. And he w- made what was regarded as a gaffe last night in the debate where he described Obamacare as fine. Again, the view would be uh, amongst Democrats is that Obamacare is working. Um, 
public can see it as um, a sign, something that is part of Obama's legacy and would want to repeal if they do uh, get control of the Senate. I think that would be one of the interesting things that would emerge in Congress is if there is an attempt to repeal Obamacare again. And we saw the damage that did last year when that led to the government shutdown. So that could be a major, another major battleground if the, if the Republicans do control the Senate. Um, I would say that it, it's regarded as being a product of an unpopular president. So depending on where you are, it is a very strong issue. Um, I also think that uh, in, in terms of the 2016 race, uh, this midterm election, it could have the, the kind of contrarian belief is, is that if, uh, the Senate is taken by the Republicans and they control Congress, you could have a much more emboldened House of Representatives with far more far-right-wing conservatives. Um, and that, in a way, may help the Democratic candidate in the run-up to 2016 and who would be able to play up the fact that, well, Republicans are in control of Congress and making life even more difficult than they already have been. And that would really help uh, any Democrat running in the 2016 election. On the subject of that now, Barack Obama is going to be nowhere to be seen on the campaign trail because nobody wants him. But the Clintons, Bill and Hillary, are going to be everywhere. Are they taking possession of the Democratic Party ahead of 2016? Well, in the absence of Obama doing any kind of canvassing, he seems to be limiting uh, it to fundraisers on on both coasts, um, and that's really the extent of, of his political uh, campaigning at the moment. Um, and yes, the Clintons are really filling that vacuum. Hillary, for example, is going to Kentucky this week to support Alison Lundgren Grimes. She's, she's going there to campaign uh, against Mitch McConnell, which really poses an interesting future battle um, if, if uh, Republicans maintain that control of the Senate, she would be um, really coming up against an adversary in Mitch McConnell should she take the White House after 2016. So, uh, yeah, the Clintons are really making hay in this election. Um, she's way ahead of any of the Democratic candidates. She's up around the 64% mark. The next person after her is a potential presidential nominee on the Democratic side is the Vice President Joe Biden, and he's only on 11%. So really, it's it's looking like it's uh, Hillary Clinton's to lose right now. But again, she hasn't declared yet and if she does that's expected sometime early next year uh, Do the midterms tell us anything about the Republican field or are any of those potential runners and riders uh, showing anything uh, in the run-ups to the, to the elections in November? I think what the midterms tell us about the Republican party and who the potential presidential nominee might be from that party is, is that this race is absolutely wide open. Um, you have various candidates appearing, potential candidates, I should say, appearing with Senate runners um, in, in this election race. For example, in Kansas, you've had a wide gamut coming from different ends of the party coming to Kansas to support Pat Roberts. You had Ted Cruz, who's a favorite of the Tea Party side, and you have uh, John McCain, the Republican senator, who's con- uh, is regularly accused of being a Republican in name only. Uh, and those two candidates came out to try and support Pat Roberts and shore up uh, his campaign in the face of a very strong challenge from this independent, Greg Orman. So again, you're seeing it's wide open. The polls suggest that Kentucky Senator Rand Paul, uh, New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, Jeb Bush, the former uh, Florida governor and brother of the, of, the, of, the, of the last Republican president, George W. Bush, they're kind of Ahead, leading in the polls, but have an equal share. Also, there is Paul Ryan, the 2012 vice presidential candidate, and Rick Perry, the Texas governor. But they're all pretty much on the same at the same level, uh, and really, no one has kind of 
uh, led ahead yes so uh, again most Republican candidates in the Senate race are taking advantage of the fact that they're all even in the race and they're calling them in to help them support their campaigns. Simon Carswell in Washington and Patrick Smith here in Dublin thank you. You're listening to Worldview from the Irish Times with me Dennis Staunton. Nearly 200 Roman Catholic bishops are meeting in the Vatican to discuss the Church's teaching on the family, and this week they produced an interim report that has raised eyebrows among Conservatives. The document says the Church should accept the reality of civil marriages and cohabitation outside marriage, and it calls for a more welcoming approach to gays and lesbians. And it casts doubt on the Church's ban on the use of artificial contraception, which dates back almost 50 years. So is this the sea change that Liberals hoped for from Pope Francis? Or is it just new language wrapped around the same doctrine? To find out, I'm joined from Rome by our correspondent Paddy Agnew and here in studio by the Irish Times Religious Affairs correspondent Patsy McGarry and Irish Times Foreign Affairs editor Patrick Smith is still with us. Paddy Agnew, what exactly are the bishops saying about all these traditional hot topics? Well, Dennis, they're saying very different things because uh, I've just come out of a remarkable uh, uh, Holy See uh, news conference in which, to a certain extent, the backtrack on what was said in the midterm or, or mid-synod document yesterday, the Relatio. In other words, the uh, papal uh, spokesman, Father Lombardi, said that the, the, much of the media interpretation of that document had not reflected its true nature. And then the uh, South African cardinal, a man known in Ireland, uh, Cardinal Napier, he said that... Um, he said he wasn't disowning the document, but he said there certainly was a great deal of misinterpretation on it. Misinterpretation had been uh, based on, uh, to a certain extent, wishful thinking on the part of the church commentators. And that, you know, he said, I read reading newspapers that were here to talk about uh, same-sex union, uh, contraception, uh, uh, marital break, uh, break up, abortion. Uh, but uh, I'm not here to talk about those things at all. We're here to talk about the uh, uh, problems that face the family and try and find uh, the face the family in modern society and to try and find some honest answers to those problems. Well, Petty, I've read the document. I have it here in front of me and you've read it too. What does the document say about these issues? Well, the most important, the most newsworthy items to come out are obviously to the bounce off the uh, page, paragraphs uh, 44, 45, paragraph 50. Paragraph 50 uh, speaks about the, uh, the the gifts and qualities that homosexuals can bring to the uh, Catholic Church. And it uh, says, do, uh, are we ready to accept those? Are we able to uh, make them feel part of the Christian family? And that is a very inclusive uh, and conciliatory language, which contrast with official church teaching, of course, which is that homosexuality is uh, an intrinsic disorder and that the homosexual act is sin. And now, this morning, uh, in the, the, the news conference, uh, we uh, pressed Cardinal Napier to saying, are you actually then uh, tracking on the language that was used yesterday? And what he, he wouldn't say that, and he wouldn't go into uh, any uh, explanation of where it's Catholic teaching is on homosexuality at the moment. What he would say was that, uh, look, this is a, a, a mid-synod document. We're still working on things. So what you're left with, uh, Dennis, is you've got to just wait till the next Saturday when you've got the final document and see uh, what, uh, what it comes up with. Because clearly there is a major tussle going on between uh, conservative and uh, more progressive elements within the synod as to what way to go forward. Uh, and don't I'd say by the end of all of that is that the one person who I'm sure is delighted with all of this is Francis because his uh, whole intent was to provoke 
a serious discussion. And my goodness, he's done that. Now, he has called this synod as the first of two synods this year and next year. What actually is the status of the synod in terms of church teaching? Well, it has no status whatsoever in the sense that a synod uh, rarely uh, impacts an awful lot on church life and never uh, uh, changes church doctrine. But uh, obviously in the, in, with, in the pontifical Francis, it's very different. Patsy McGarry, how significant is the change of tone in the document? I think it's hugely significant, even if there are, there are uh, uh, very disturbed conservative voices there, as there clearly are, as there clearly were last week. I mean, Cardinal Muller told the Pope last week directly at a Senate session that he couldn't change the Church's teaching, that this was a matter of, of revelation. And Cardinal Burke, uh, prior to the Senate, made his position very, very clear as well. Uh, and, I mean, they are, and Cardinal Pell uh, at an event in the North American College basically said, where divorce is concerned, people want something softer, but Jesus said what Jesus said, and I'm standing with Jesus. So, there you are. These people are not prepared to shift their ground. Cardinal Muller did last week say uh, that uh, contributions to these sessions should be publicised. He wanted that. Indeed, the media would have liked that too as well. That is not the form. What happens basically at the sessions, we only know through the, uh, the staff of the Holy See Press Office, who then give a briefing every day, usually lasting about an hour and uh, they don't, they identify what's being discussed but they don't identify who has said what uh, which is not terribly satisfactory to say the least about it. So what are the most important changes then? Well the tone so far I mean uh, people are, are getting hung up on what Jim Martin at, at the uh, press conference on Saturday described as the celebrity issues This is the Archbishop words, of Dublin. The gay issues and the this issue of uh, communion for uh, divorced remarried Catholics but I think personally the, the, the strongest, significant, most significant element coming out of this is to do with annulments um, there are about 60,000 annulments in the Catholic Church annually and two-thirds of those take place in the United States simply because they have a much more efficient process there. Um, Perhaps you just explain what a marriage annulment is. Well, basically they declare um, it isn't a Catholic marriage. A Catholic marriage did not take place because the either our party to the marriage didn't understand what they were getting into. Uh, uh, the point made last week by Cardinal Erdo, the, basically the secretary of the Senate in the opening address, was that a vast majority of Catholic marriages may not be valid at all because they people taking part in those marriages don't understand for instance the nature of the word commitment that is lifelong, that they belong to cultures where divorce is endemic uh, and they see these arrangements basically as temporary if things go wrong they can get out uh, and uh, they all, he also suggests that they look at the orthodox where there are second and third marriages and how they get around the theological difficulties where marriage is indissoluble in the Orthodox tradition as it is in the Catholic tradition. So I think that will be one of the more significant changes in time to come out of this Senate. Uh, there's calls already for uh, this to be done, uh, annulments to be conducted at a diocesan level with a priest simply appointed, one priest whose sole role to oversee this process. Another thing I think is very significant uh, in the document yesterday is the benign manner in which they look on civil marriages, um, that there are good things in civil marriages as there are in same-sex marriages. And indeed, uh, they say that the, the, the church won't stand for, by same same-sex marriage, but the word they used in the document was one stand by matrimony, which is quite a different matter. They're not, if you like, against civil marriage for, for gay people, uh, which would be, could be interesting from, from our own point of view. So will they actually continue to campaign against same-sex marriage? Well, that's a very interesting question, particularly in the light of what we're facing into ourselves next uh, year, the referendum on same-sex marriage. Um, uh, at a, a press briefing uh, for media in Maynooth earlier this year, the new Catholic primate was asked this question. I mean, it was said to him that well, you understand the Catholic position, but will you actually campaign uh, on the issue? Do you feel, and he didn't answer the question. Um, so, I mean, the, in the light of the, the language in the document yesterday, you would imagine the 
incentive would be not to do so. State the position and let those who uh, have f- strong feelings one way or the other get on with the campaign. Some Conservative Catholics in the United States have already uh, complained about this. They're already in pr- protesting about it. You've heard from Paddy Agnew in Rome that there's already quite a lot of opposition there from within this synod to what's going on. How strong do you expect this Conservative backlash to be? Well, this backlash began before the Synod itself when the five cardinals in two two books published on the Wednesday before the Synod began, the 1st of October. Uh, This is Cardinal Mooner, Cardinal Burke, uh, Cardinal Pell and two retired cardinals, all who have been very significant in the administration of the Roman Curia asserted very forcefully that there was to be no change in, in uh, the te- church's teaching on marriage. So you could anticipate what's happened with the reaction of the United States to this document published yesterday. Um, it's very strong, particularly on the gay issue. They, they, in the States, they've, the, the Catholic right have come out very forcefully on that issue. But again, they did when um, Cardinal Dolan agreed to be Grand Marshal of the St. Patrick's Day Parade next year uh, in, with a gay group taking part, carrying a banner. Um, uh, and uh, these people just won't accept a change in church teaching, even in change in church tone where these issues are concerned. Uh, Paddy Smith, if the church does adopt a different tone on issues like gays and lesbians or on contraception, what kind of influence can that have on public policy in various parts of the world? Well, I think it's important, but I think it shouldn't be over, over uh, exaggerated. I mean, clearly in, in parts of Africa where uh, gay rights have been very firmly repressed by, uh, by uh, states like uh, Uganda and, and, and indeed Nigeria and, and others, um, the church has played a role in supporting those, but it, it, it wasn't the lead role. In most of those countries, it was the uh, Protestant evangelical uh, churches which have, have whipped things up against uh, uh, gays. So a shift uh, in in the Catholic Church's position will be very welcome, and it will also be reflected in the many international organizations that the church is actually represented in, in the United Nations World Health Organization. You could see a shift already happening in, in the World Health Organization uh, where the Catholic Church's position on, on the use of condoms in combating AIDS has already begun to, to move. So it's important, but 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 I think the real effect will probably be mostly felt in in the advanced uh, world, in the in the developed world, where uh, issue, issues of marriage and, and gay rights are, um, if you like, discussed on a, on a very different basis. So that the the the, the change of tone gives cover to uh, conservative or moderately conservative politicians to go with the flow. Yes, and that, I think, is, is the interesting philosophical change here, uh, that uh, people are being told uh, that the, the, the thinking about moral issues should start from the real world, or at least should start by appreciating the real world, rather than from uh, abstract uh, revelation or, or first principles. Paddy Agnew, that is one of the issues that's uh, talked about here, this idea of a kind of a gradualist approach where people, uh, where you have to, as they say in the document, they, that you have to accept the reality of things like civil marriage outside uh, the church and also cohabitation outside marriage. Is that a big philosophical shift? Patsy McGarry? Well, absolutely. I thought that uh, homily by Pope Francis uh, yesterday morning was very significant that it talked about the failure of the Pharisees as Paddy said, to read the signs of the time. They made a fetish, if you like, out of the law. They systemized everything. Everything a Jew could or could not do was was, was planned um, afar. He said it left no room for the God of surprises. 
Uh, I mean, what you're talking about here is a process which will take years. Um, it began last October when uh, Pope Francis announced this extraordinary Senate. There was a questionnaire then published uh, and circulated to Catholics worldwide um, last November. He seems to have listened to that. The instrument... Instrumentum Laboris was published last June, which is a summary of that of the findings of the, that questionnaire that led into this Senate. A document will be published at the weekend, which will lead into the next Senate, and then there'll be a document there presented to him for him to make decisions on whatever they have to make decisions about. So we're talking about a, a couple of years before any significant change. But I think the tone has already shifted. Going back to his return from Brazil from World Youth Day in the summer of last year when he talked about gay people and said, who am I to judge? And that basically is the motto of this pontificate, it would appear. Who am I to judge? Now, one of the questions surrounding Pope Francis is, is he uh, just somebody who speaks a a new language? Or is he in fact, um, you know, a, 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 a truly transformative pope? He's speaking a new language. Uh, um, the teaching is not changing. The teaching remains the same. Uh, in fact, language became an issue at the Senate last last week. They talked about uh, getting away from phrases like uh, living in sin, uh, the con- contraceptive mentality, and more significantly, the phrase intrinsically disordered, which is in a document published in 1986 by Pope Benedict, then the Dean of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, Cardinal Ratzinger, and referring to gay people. They wanted to get away from that sort of language, tone it down, be merciful. Mercy is a word this man uses an awful lot, meaning compassionate. Be a Christian in the old-fashioned sense. You could say this man is introducing Christianity reintroducing Christianity into hardline Catholicism. Patsy McGarry, Paddy Agnew and Paddy Smith, thank you very much. And that's all from this edition of Worldview. You can find more on all our stories at irishtimes.com and you can contact us at worldview at irishtimes.com. But from producer Sinead O'Shea, sound engineer Gary White and from me, Dennis Staunton, goodbye.